I don't know if there are any statistics about the success rates for bands that started during a recession. I do know that people who graduate during a recession face an incredible setback with their career earnings most of the time. Not being able to find a good job for, say, a couple of years can mean that you might not ever catch up to the people who were lucky enough to get to that first rung right away. It would also seem that one of the first things people cut back on in a recession is entertainment. So starting your band in the middle of the greatest financial crisis in many decades ought to be a handicap. And starting your band just after learning to play while in college has got to have some statistical asterisk next to it, too. Bands have it hard enough in good times. Making it full-time as a musician is a rare thing, even when audiences have good jobs and spending money. But the band you're about to meet checks off all of these boxes and a lot more, including producing their own festival. I'm your host, Joe Kendrick, welcoming you to Southern Songs and Stories, where we showcase the music of the South and the artists who make it. This is our episode on Time Sawyer. Osiris. Hey, this is Chris Pandolfi from the infamous String Dusters, and this podcast is part of the Osiris podcast family. Osiris is a growing community of music and culture podcasts connecting music fans with conversation, commentary, and music. Osiris works in partnership with Relics. Check them out for all kinds of new music, news, and information. Osiris. Southern Songs and Stories is sponsored by Dynamite Roasting with the world's best 100% certified organic and fair trade coffee. Roasted with love in Black Mountain, North Carolina. DynamiteRoasting.com. And we're sponsored by you when you join us as a patron and help keep this series going. More information is on our website at southernsongsandstories.com and on our crowdfunding page, patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories. You can subscribe to Southern Songs and Stories podcast on our website as well as on iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, SoundCloud, CastBox, and TuneIn. Please take a moment to rate the show and comment on this podcast. It's one of the easiest and best ways to spread the word about Southern songs and stories and about the artists that we spotlight. There is definitely this sense of eagerness to an openness that is also still real that I feel I've come a little more accustomed to here that I really can enjoy. You know, um, there's definitely this, you know, this kind of like southern hospitality approach as far as just being willing to have a conversation but at the same time it's you know it's not lost upon just this ability just a smile it's like it's a very open and honest conversation which i feel like makes life a lot more enjoyable and exciting at least i'm gonna make this work for me and you have to say i've learned from that for that to happen i think most people let life come at them instead of or you know once to again another kind of cliche is to get i get knocked down but you know that's and I get up again. That's kind of our favorite Chumbawamba song. Yeah, <laughs> I think their songs appeal to people because you can take multiple meanings from them. But there's a a core of realness and a core of um, humanity in the songs. It's our favorite pastime on tour. Is uh, just uh, record stores, record shopping. We uh, every every time we get to, if we have thirty minutes before a show. We're hitting a record store somewhere, you know, so doing some pics. I've made them vinyl <laughs> junkies. <laughs> I saw a guy fight that sign in D.C. Oh, that's true. There's no way to explain that. A though. guy yeah. fight a sign? Yeah, yeah that was pretty cool. Sign. Jake here. We just saw a guy, we just saw a guy like, going straight up. He just went at a sign. Yes. He started swinging on it, and he was 
He chest bumped it. He kicked it a bunch. Beating the hell out yeah, of it was weird. It was a weird way to get us into Washington, D.C.
friends are so loud She don't make a sound Spend most of the time with her feet on the ground Dressed in all red Place to go out It was a warm late spring evening in the city park in Burlington, North Carolina, when the five members of Time Sawyer played that song, Robin, under a gorgeous high wooden pavilion at the edge of a creek. Assuming that it makes it onto their next album, it will be part of the seventh studio album since 2011 for the band. They've also released two live records and are getting set to produce their eighth annual festival called Reevestock. If getting their start during the Great Recession set them back any, they sure have worked hard to catch up. Sam, when people say the name Time Sawyer, what do you want them to think about? Probably not Rush, eventually. (laughs) (laughs) But overall, uh, good music would probably be the easiest answer, but also uh, it seems, I mean, what else would you, I guess there could be a lot of things you'd want. That's what I want, is for people to think about good music, to associate that with, uh, that we care about what we do, and uh, put a lot into making sure the songs that you hear have gone through quite a bit before they get to you to... I mean, we, we all take a lot of pride in, in building these songs. And uh, so I guess that would be the ultimate answer is wanting to say, you know, Time Sawyer. Yeah, those guys, I know that band's not Rush. <laughs> <laughs> Trouble ain't here yet, but it's a command A bit of the song Queen City on Fire from Time Sawyer's latest album, Wildest Dreams. You heard lead singer and songwriter Sam Taylor ahead of that, talking with me that evening in Burlington. The band wasn't thinking about the band Rush at all when coming up with their name. It was a hybrid of the Mark Twain character Tom Sawyer, which represents the rural area of Elkin, North Carolina, where they came from, while also being used as a grassroots character. And as Sam said in a 2013 interview, time, because time is so foundational in songwriting and in life. In that Glide magazine article, he was quoted saying, In songwriting, you can be writing about how much you love how great something is and you want time to stop dead in its tracks, keeping you in the moment. Or you could be doing all you possibly can to escape from some hard times, relationship or otherwise, so you want time to move along. It just seemed to fit with time being such a constant with anything you're involved in. Well, it looks like we can strike hedonism from the list of lyrical themes in Time Sawyer's music right off the bat. And to that point, I submit the song you just heard, Queen City on Fire, a true story that was given an even more foreboding context in lyrics like this. The Queen City's on fire tonight. No, it's not the city lights this time. 
It's the long pines in the hills. Oh, there's nothing that we can do. The wind is moving with the strength of two. I just sit alone and think of you and what I've done. Just some matches and some gasoline. One man's thoughts can kill our dreams. I can't help but feel the same with you. Trouble ain't here yet, but it's coming soon. Based on the wildfires in the region that blanketed Sam's home base of Charlotte, North Carolina with smoke, the song tells of a disaster that comes from both without and within. And Luke Mears' guitar and Bob Barone's pedal steel ride in like horsemen from the apocalypse. Bob Barone is a good friend of ours, and he, he plays pedal steel. Uh, it, we, he has a lot in the past. He's on our records, all of those, and uh, we'll definitely continue to do that. It's funny how we met Bob. We've got a... That's kind of been the whole story of music for me, is I don't know if I could get out of it now if I wanted to, because it's how I've met everyone that means so much to me now. It's People really care about you in music and that's such a huge statement I guess but there's so much I think most musicians and people involved in that will will see that and you, you kind of start relationships that you really that never end and that it's it's a different world and it's a, it's a really cool world for sure so it's Bob is part of that playing the banjo for Houston Norris over here having a banjo in the band we uh, we're a bluegrass band more often than not uh, is, is what people believe and uh, I guess y'all probably figured out that that's not really our normal gig, but we like bluegrass, and because of both of those things, we're going to play a bluegrass song for you.
away with you last Friday night when I was laid up in jail. Walking the streets with another man, oh Lord, you will be paying my bill. So roll them sweet babies on. Roll them sweet babies on. Oh, don't lay around, jack to the milk train, come back on right now. Roll them sweet babies on. Okay, so Mumford & Sons early on got some really lazy press calling them a bluegrass act, which is ridiculous, we all know. The term bluegrass is something people often argue about, but actually is one of the easiest genres to define since it originated from Bill Monroe as a very specific and well-defined style all those years ago. Bluegrass didn't describe a wide swath of music like blues or jazz, not at all. Those genres were not created by any one player like bluegrass was, but bluegrass could never be contained in that one vision, not even a vision as earth-shattering as Big Mon's. And ever since, bluegrass artists, fans, and onlookers have been arguing about what fits within its boundaries and what is, as Monroe would say, quote, no part of nothing, unquote. And casual fans have conflated any music featuring a banjo with bluegrass more often than not. For example, here's a bit of the band Fruit Bats tune Humbug Mountain Song from their album Absolute Loser with banjo in the lead. Now try a bit of the band Railroad Earth and their song Long Way to Go from their disc Elko. Time Sawyer reminds me of Railroad Earth at times. Neither of them are bluegrass bands in any way, and Fruit Bats aren't either. Now, to throw it a bit of a curveball, listen to this Tony Rice classic, which is widely considered to be bluegrass. Blossom from his 1978 classic Manzanita, 
with Sam Bush, Ricky Skaggs, Jerry Douglas, David Grisman, Todd Phillips, and Daryl Anger in the group. No banjo, however, but it's still bluegrass, and is another example of how fans and critics can and do argue about what music really qualifies as such for the indefinite future. Obviously, Tom Sawyer has a great appreciation for bluegrass while not being bluegrass at all. Founding member and banjo player, Houston Norris. You know, I didn't start playing music till, um, till like my freshman year of college, and uh, I think that was because it was so readily available and it was always around and it wasn't this like thing I've got to try because it was like every weekend I was at some music you know bluegrass convention or or festival and um, and I hate that you know looking back I didn't take better uh, advantage of that uh, uh, you know the the different jam sessions and and all the people that I could have talked with and 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 gotten tips from and, and so much early on that I was just not really interested in, uh, but it was one of those things that was, you know, bound to happen of uh, um, being around it. And uh, uh, so, I mean, that was a a huge influence in getting my, I guess, musical path to where it is now. Um, And, and, you know, it's been great. We don't do, I mean, everything with, you know, that my mom does and uh, very enriched in in traditional bluegrass. And that's not what we do, um, but it, Bluegrass always struck me as a the technique thing is there's a right way and a wrong way to do it. Like either that's bluegrass or it's not, you know. And so it was just this very intimidating um, thing to do when you're just starting with the banjo. You see these guys that are just you know wearing it out, and it's like uh, you know you either do it like they do or it's wrong, you know. So that was uh, you know when I kind of came to to learn about the Avett brothers. Um, you know he was doing some different stuff on the banjo than than the traditional bluegrass licks um and it it still had that sort of mountain sound to it but not bluegrass the avid brothers have been an influence on who knows how many bands and both houston and sam list them as such that time sawyer members would cite the avids along with artists like ryan adams and bands like hiscold and messenger as beacons seemed right in sync with time sawyer's sound What I wasn't prepared for was where their rhythm section was coming from. Bass player and newest member of the band, Court Winter, followed by drummer Jordan Nelson. Playing in Time Sawyer seems to be, you know, uh, a a different direction than some of the music that you listed there as being influential. Yeah, I mean, you know, my dad was a jazz saxophone player, so I grew up kind of with you know, a lot more of the improvisational aspects and, and like, you know, infusion, jazz, even a lot of Motown because he put, like being a saxophone player in New York, he found himself playing for a lot of the artists and and um and stuff like that. So that definitely was a really strong hold, but also one of the other things about, you know, him being a saxophonist, he also found himself playing in other uh, other pockets as well. So I've always been open to other ideas, you know, and I'll be honest with you, once I graduated um, from college and I started having a student loan bill, I tried to pay that bill with my bass no matter which way it was, you know? So, and that, that was pretty cool, because actually before Time Story I play, and I still occasionally play with my bluegrass trio on One Each Travelers, and then also I um, played with uh, Fat Cheat Cat, which is uh, kind of like a funk disco jam band for quite a while and um you know so i was constantly having this which i feel like has done nothing but 
provide me with the ability to be the musician where I am now, you know, like I have all these different um, avenues to call back on, you know, experiences and ability to, you know, express myself musically in these different ways. So yeah, don't forget the metal. Go back to the metal days. Okay, <laughs> back to the metal <laughs> days. Back, you know? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> yes, and we did. I played metal as well with a band called <laughs> Fallen. We won't. We won't. We won't go into the personal descriptions. <laughs> I was looking at your bios. You know, we, I think we were talking about this earlier about Court and how how far afield some of his likes are from what it might sound like uh, a member of Time Sawyer would like. But here, Jordan, his favorite concert is Giant Panda Gorilla Dub Squad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So they're. Uh, they're I, I'm a big reggae head. Uh, I loved reggae music. Um, always have reggae and dub, uh, and uh, so I followed uh, quite a quite a few uh, bands around. Uh, and Giant Panda is one of my one of my all-time favorites. They're, uh, they're uh, have kind of fallen into the jam scene a little bit as well, but um, yeah, they're a lot of fun. I've seen them multiple times from. North Carolina to California, so yeah, cool, cool. A lot of, a lot of fun. I, uh, I try to, I guess, uh, there's a couple tunes I get to uh, bust into a one drop. They let me, they let me get it, kick a little, kick a little reggae beat here and there. So. The rocker in this group is Time Sawyer's guitarist, Luke Mears. Probably when I first started getting a guitar in my hands, I was into uh, ACDC. And uh, that quickly uh, shifted to Led Zeppelin. I got their second album somehow from from my dad and me going to uh, yard sales or flea markets. And uh, I remember listening to that and thinking, man, this is a little bit, you know, a couple of steps better than ACDC. And opened up a whole, whole new world to me. And uh, one of my good friends, Tracy Hayes, he he started turning me on to different songwriters, and um, he's a big Stephen Stills fan. He started being able to pick out some Luke songs, you know, that I could pull off and kind of had a little something extra. And um, I remember he still talks about when I played uh, 4 and 20, Stephen Stills' tune for him, and... Uh, kind of blew him away. All of that kind of pushed me to just go on a huge musical search. I'm still kind of stuck in the past with looking for old music. We're going to do one here. It's, uh, we've, uh, do, a, do our murder ballad. And uh, we had at one show uh, several requests from the same guy for a murder ballad. And uh, before we had one, so... We, uh, we figure we better add one to the, to the catalog, so this here goes to that guy that we've never seen since. This song's called 
eyes wide, my mouth shut Cause I don't think I can speak too much As I throw my two dimes into the bin now
Thank you. One of the things that jumps out at you when looking at the history of Time Sawyer is that the two founding members, Sam Taylor and Houston Norris, came to play music later than so many other full-time artists commonly did. It's not unheard of, but they're definitely in the minority here. When you dig a little deeper than that fact, however, you start to see how those seeds were planted early in their lives, making it much less of a surprise that they are where they are today. Earlier, you heard Houston Norris talking about his less-than-direct path to being a professional banjo player, and Sam has also talked about how, when he was a kid, he was introduced to the guitar, but was not that interested and would rather play sports or video games. Houston's mother is Cindy Bauckham, host of the syndicated radio show Knee Deep in Bluegrass, and wife of banjo player and band leader Terry Bauckham. And she gave us more on that part of the Time Sawyer story. He did, a lot of times, go to those events with me very unhappy. (laughs) It was the last place he wanted to be sometimes. Looking back now, he loves the experiences it gave him. But honestly, from before he was born, and it's sort of funny, the first time that I emceed the Watson stage at Merle Fest, I was eight months pregnant with Houston. So his first Merle Fest experience on stage was in, in utero. <laughs> and then for Time Sawyer to be, be there a couple of times over the years, talk about coming full circle. And he always, you know, was there and hearing bands at all kinds of fiddlers conventions. I would always have him take his little instruments. Uh, I remember a little fiddle that he had, and I would really encourage him to get with other kids his age in the jam sessions. He was so totally uninterested. He was into sports. He was into so many other things. And I think that it's sort of funny now that out of my three children, he would have been the last one that I would have said, hey, he's going to be full-time music and be in a band and tour when he grows up. That just has really surprised me. But I think that my my father was also a big influence to him because uh, whenever Houston would stay at his grandparents' house, and my dad had all kinds of instruments around, but the banjo, the banjo cases he would leave open and He was not a keep-your-hands-off kind of guy. It's like, put it back where you got it, take care of it, be careful with it, wipe down the strings when you're finished. So it gave Houston the opportunity to sort of experience the instrument, touch the instrument, hold the instrument. And my dad would show him a few things, but it was... uh, I remember a high school graduation party, and Sam Taylor was there, uh, because he and Houston both graduated high school at the same time and, in fact, had been best friends since the second grade. But Terry and I did a cookout for uh, a lot of... Well, Houston told us it would be a few friends, and there wound up being about 40 kids <laughs> who came to the house for a cookout after graduation. And after most of them had left, but Sam was still there, Houston went and got a banjo, and he went to Terry. He said, could you start showing me some things? But he brought him a flat pick and not the three not the three finger picks. And Terry looked at me, and I said, well, he's been really into the Avett Brothers. And, and Terry goes, yeah, yeah, I'll show you some chords and uh, let you take it from there. 
lights on the highway as I'm making my way through the clouds. Made a stop in Tucson, didn't stop for too long. Anyway. Yeah, I took a few pills, not for any old thrill, just to make my way. So if it get quiet on your end, if it get tired of the bitterness, Sad on the surface, but are you certain that you change? So if it get quiet on your end, if it get tired in the bitterness, antique things coming in. Crisis, little love build and the cost it rises. The heart shimmered like broken glass on the highway as we ride down. Said it clear and it said it loud. Didn't need to open my mouth, but I did anyway. The dark and night.
That was another live one, and anyway, all the way from their most recent album, Wildest Dreams, a title which refers to living out their dreams of making it, playing music. Those dreams were a little harder to realize when they began, almost a decade ago, during the worst economy in 70 years. I talked with author and photographer Daniel Coston about how difficult that start must have been and how things have changed dramatically since. Bands like Ty and Sawyer were starting to come up going, well, where do we play? What's available? What's open? So in Charlotte, they would play places like the Evening Muse and would draw a crowd. They drew from their friends in Charlotte, their friends in Elkin. And uh, that would get them some good press. But uh, apart from that, uh, in Charlotte and the surrounding area, there were not a lot of venues opening up. You had some older venues. I know they played the Double Door in their early days and uh, played the Visualite some. But um, like a lot of bands and a lot of individuals in that time, it was kind of, okay, I want to do this. Now how do I make this work? Uh, despite um, a lot of things economy-wise crashing around us. And I think there's a lot of us who got through that period, and we look back and say, how in the world did we do that? And you fast forward to now, and Charlotte is one of the fastest-growing cities in the country. You've got, what, more millennials than practically anywhere in the Queen City. It's really something. um, I was just doing an event last week, um, a runway to rescue, which was uh, you know, rehabbing, um, uh, you know, finding homes for dogs and cats, and I it was an event where I didn't know anybody in the entire crowd, and the entire audience was in their twenties and thirties. And to be honest, I thought that was fantastic because it meant there was a whole new scene growing and thriving um, beyond the, the places where I usually work, hang out, photograph. There's a whole new set of people who are going to go out and discover things and do things, and, and they're finding bands like Time Sawyer, whether they're playing at the breweries or they're playing uh, different places around town, of course, you know, or maybe they'll go out now on the road and see them somewhere near Charlotte. There's just a whole lot more places now for time, bands like Time Sawyer and bands like Charlotte to play. You still have to figure out where people want to see you play, whether it's a brewery or a theater or part of this benefit or, uh, you know, events big and small, but the opportunities are out there and the, and the fan base is chasing, uh, changing. It used to be that you would pretty much know your whole audience uh, at a show. And the fact that a band like Time Sawyer can now go out and play these places and they've never met a good part of their audience. Their friend told a friend or they posted about it on Facebook or, or, or Twitter or whatever. And a whole new group comes out. So it's, it's an exciting time. Like a lot of cities in the South, Charlotte is figuring out where it wants to go next. But if um, it doesn't get in the way of itself, um, there could be really something really good for those of us that live in the area and just for those of us who are trying to uh, create something of our own. Yes, things have really changed, mostly for the better, for artists and fans in the years since the Great Recession. One new wrinkle in the live music scene is the Artist Curated Festival, which now includes Jeff Tweedy's Solid Sound in Massachusetts, The Roots Picnic in Philadelphia, hosted by Dave Chappelle, which has since spawned a second edition in New York, Justin Vernon of Bon Iver and Aaron Dessner of The National producing Eau Claire in, you guessed it, Eau Claire, Wisconsin, a festival that doesn't release its lineup and says on its website, quote, Eau Claire was never meant to be fully understood or easily delineated, unquote. The National itself is also producing the Homecoming Festival in Cincinnati, 
Shovels and Rope gives us High Waterfest in their hometown of Charleston, South Carolina. Pert Near Sandstone produces another Eau Claire, Wisconsin festival of bluegrass, newgrass, Americana, and such with the Blue Ox Music Festival. Blink-182's Travis Barker now curates two festivals, one that is more of a throwback to the Orange County, California ska that he enjoyed in his youth, and another that merges tattoos, hot rods, and loud music called Musink. There are many more hybrids like Drake's OVO Festival, which is backed by Live Nation and meant to serve as a showcase for Drake's label. And there are a lot more, including Time Sawyer's Reevestock in Sam, Houston, and Luke's hometown of Elkin, North Carolina, which benefits a scholarship fund for area high school graduates. Reevestock is held in early August, and you can find out about it at reevestock.com, R-E-E-V-E-S-T-O-C-K. Also in Western North Carolina is the Marcus King Band Family Reunion, held in early October in Black Mountain. And even though it's not billed as a festival, the Warren Haynes Christmas Jam, held in his hometown of Asheville in early December, is a multi-day event benefiting Habitat for Humanity, which builds up to a marathon show of headliners playing in theirs and each other's bands until the wee hours of the morning. Now, being a full-time artist is one thing, and that's hard enough. Producing your own festival is a whole new level of difficulty. I spoke with several of our guests about this. Here's Jim Jorgensen, who recorded and mixed their latest album, at Echo Mountain Studios in Asheville, North Carolina, and I spoke with him by phone while he was on his honeymoon in England. One of my attractions to the band was the fact that they're a really hardworking band. So I always see him going up. I mean, Sam has his own festival uh, that that him and uh, I think Houston's part of it too, that run it. I mean, that festival's growing. The business mind is really good and very strong. Unlike some other bands, you know, you'll you'll see it. I, I just feel, you know, these days, um, when you add in talent and then hard work, you know, you get a better result. And where they're going, is they they have both, and it's that their growth will be exponential just from putting in that work. I finally got to their Reevestock Festival last year. I've been hearing about this for me for years, uh, independently and from Sam. And I was like, oh, my God, why haven't I been here before? Uh, it's held on the grounds of uh, basically somebody's house. They play in the middle, in the grounds. So basically, the, the land is tiered. So it's basically you can sit anywhere and get a, a great view of the stage. It's one of those festivals that... Every once in a while, you just hope you stumble into and go, wow, this is fantastic. This is great. If you are full-time in music or the entertainment field in general, it's those different revenue streams that you have to cultivate through the years. Unless you're in a very uh, top-grossing touring band, just the touring won't do it. Just teaching music won't do it. Just recording and selling music won't do it.
Tom Sawyer's Ball and Chain from Wildest Dreams. Following a bit of our interview with Cindy Balcom, Daniel Coston, and Jim Jorgensen. That wraps up our episode on the band. Thanks for listening to Southern Songs and Stories, and thanks to our sponsors, Dynamite Roasting, and our supporters on Patreon, especially Rob, Mitch, and Mark. Thanks to Don Mack at Bluegrass Planet Radio for carrying the show, and to Bill Sanders of SOS Productions, who recorded the band live in Burlington for us, too. I encourage you to spread the word about this podcast and consider helping us by subscribing and commenting on our show and by becoming a patron. You can find out more at southernsongsandstories.com and at patreon.com slash southernsongsandstories. And you can keep up with us on our Facebook page, on Twitter, at South Scenes, and Instagram, at South Stories. Plus, our podcasts are available on practically every platform there is. This is Southern Songs and Stories. We're showcasing the music of the South and the artists who make it. Osiris. All right. Uh, well, this has been, what, when did we go on our Northeast tour? A couple uh, months. Two, two, months, two months ago. So this is a fresh story, actually. So um, we, uh, we were about three days in. We're having a good time, and uh, we we're, we have a day off in Connecticut, and so we're thinking, what in the world are we gonna do in Connecticut for a day off? We went to Jerry Springer's show. It happened. Yeah. It happened, y'all. Uh, we had we had to, we had the time of our lives, and that was probably the craziest dish I've ever seen in my entire life. Yeah.
Yeah. You, you, oh man! You talk me, about me, but yeah, things that. Was, that uh, oh my goodness! That's a life-changing that was, moment. It was a life-changing moment. Uh, I've never in my life seen such television. Let's tele- just say it. Such such television oh, ratchetness in my entire life, and that was probably uh, as far as being on the road. Uh, which is not directly directing us effectively er, er, excuse, <laughs> ugh, I can't even talk affecting us directly but we were uh, we were there and we saw it and it was uh, I mean man. they say don't meet your heroes you know yeah but, that's yeah. right yeah well hey we met Jerry Springer so there we go <laughs>